who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built upon we all reach unity and faith in knowledge of Son and God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Amen. Those of you who are regular at church, that is, um, I've waved this book at you before, um, Culture of Honour. And, and I did the same reading that we've just had and Lee read. It's not just me going a little bit senile or anything, that I'm actually forgetting that I've done exactly the same thing, that I've already had the same reading and I've had the same book. It was. Last time I thought, actually, we could do a series on that. And do you remember I was standing up here whittering to myself and saying, actually, we could do a series on that. Well, we're starting it, okay? And in a sense, it's appropriate, thankfully, in the sense, because the title of the book is Culture of Honour. And today we're giving honour, aren't we? We're giving thanks, we're giving um, you know, sort of tribute to people who have served us and, and helped us to actually live in peace. So it is appropriate to say that the whole world, in a sense, and in this country, we have kind of a team of people protecting us, and we need to give them honour. That is part of the link. Also, when we think about the culture of honour, what I said last time, and I won't repeat the whole sermon because we'd be here all day, but what I said last time was... The fact that in the passage of Ephesians that um, was read to us by Lee, it talks about a five-fold ministry and what that means to unpack the theological jargon is that there are five important parts to a team that runs the church but also the team that is the church. So within the church leadership and also within the church, we need these five gifts, we need these five particular roles. Just as a country needs people like soldiers and and airmen and people to, to protect them, we also, as a church and as a community, we need people with different gifts and we need to honour those different gifts. And those gifts that are actually mentioned in the Ephesians passage are this. Just in case you've forgotten, she says, trying to find Ephesians. Yes, I have a pink thing to find it with. Christ gave himself to have gifts in the church, and the particular roles he mentions are the roles of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I'm going to start this week with the series at the beginning of that list with the apostles. Now, apostles, again appropriate for today, are really kind of one of the bravest gifts. I know evangelists have to be quite brave because they go up and they speak to people about their faith, which can be quite scary, but that's next time I actually preach to you. But this time, the idea of apostles, apostles are really, well, kind of brave people because they're doing new things for God. 
They're actually hearing from God that God wants them to do something, wants the church to do something, and then they begin new ministries. They begin new stuff for God. Those of you who were here, actually, when I started off this series, might remember I read a bit from the book of Culture of Honour to describe exactly what an apostle is. Because between you and me, when I actually looked at the whole passage, I thought, well, what on earth is an apostle? In the Bible, it mentions the apostles. You know, the disciples, they become apostles, and Derek's going to read that bit to us later. But I thought, well, what is an apostle? Do you know? I'm not going to ask Ben. He probably knows better than I, and he's not here at the moment. But moving on, the apostle, okay, is the person who has a particular mindset to do new stuff for God. The apostle is somebody who hears from God. Anyway, what he did was he described it in this book, what an apostle was, by saying that... An apostle would respond to the scene of a car crash in a particular way. Do you remember I read the different ways in which people would respond? I'll just sum up, okay? It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it gives you an idea of the mindset of an apostle. And it begins to get you to think, well, is that something that I can recognise in gifting and the leadership of our church? Or is that something that I begin to recognise in myself? Maybe you have apostolic tendencies. I shall read to you about what the apostle's reaction would be when faced with a car crash. The apostle prays for the injured. He invites the supernatural healing touch of God into the scene. He begins to tell testimonies of when he's been on the scene of car accidents and witnessed to the power of God manifest itself in those situations. The faith level of the people there begins to rise. He then asks if anyone can feel heat in his or her hands. He put those who raise their hands to work praying for others to be healed. He demonstrates to all who are near that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He opens a school for those who arrive at the car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. Now, I know it's kind of a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but what what it's saying is that the apostle sees situations as opportunities for God. He sees situations as, as how, if you like, heaven comes down to earth. That is the particular mindset of the apostle. Now, I know that not many of us have actually opened up such schools, but maybe there's a little bit of a kind of a mustard seed of wanting to see God do stuff new in the community that actually is in your heart. What does the term apostle mean, apart from that kind of definition? In the Greek, it means one sent forth as an ambassador for the gospel. And a further definition, an apostle is sent forth directly by God to do a specific work. And when I mentioned earlier that kind of, well, I suppose, rather narrow definition of an apostle being like the disciples became then because Jesus and and God sent them throughout the earth. You could, with that definition of somebody who's sent by God for a specific work, obviously perhaps categorize some of the Old Testament heroes as apostles. Abraham, Moses, and Joseph definitely were called and sent by God and equipped by him to do the new stuff that God wanted them to do. Also, 
Not surprisingly, in Hebrews 3.11, we hear how Jesus is an apostle. Not perhaps something you would have thought of. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest, it says in Hebrews 3.11. It's rather like junior church. They've all gone out, isn't it? What's the answer to the question? Who is an apostle? Jesus. But anyway, but everything, isn't it really? Practically every role in the Bible, you know, Jesus is the ultimate high priest. Jesus is the ultimate savior. Jesus is the ultimate apostle because he was chosen and sent for and by his father for a very specific work. Indeed, and on this theme of remembrance and sacrifice, even to give his life for us. I want to get back to that passage that I asked Derek to read before I forget to ask him to read it, which talks about how the disciples, like Jesus, the disciples were, well, initially they were friends of Jesus, weren't they? Then they were followers of Jesus. And then in this very short passage, we hear how they became apostles, sent and equipped to serve God. So if you'd like to come and read to us, Derek, thank you. Okay, this is um, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Amen. It doesn't just stop there, really. It does say, but do. Okay. So I give a very precede reading there, isn't it? But basically he said, at this point, your territory is this. And what I'm doing is I'm sending you to this particular area. I'm sending you. And, and he equips them, doesn't it? He gives them authority. So they're no longer just followers of Jesus. They have the authority to do stuff in his name, to do new ministries, to actually have, rather like that car crash scene, to actually have heat in their hands, to actually have that power of Jesus for healing. So he gave them special authority, and that's when the friends of Jesus became not just followers, but also became apostles reaching out. Now, some people would say that's almost where apostledom stops. I would actually disagree. There are two main reasons why I would disagree with the fact that apostles didn't stop. There's not such a word as apostledom, by the way, I don't think. It's just I was finishing my sentence almost, or my clause. Some people would say that with the apostles and a couple of extra ones at the end, that's where being an apostle stopped. I actually don't agree with that because subsequent passages mention other apostles, for example. 
Matthias as well, because obviously Judas, as it said in that passage, betrayed Jesus and they had to have one to replace him. They wanted to keep up the full number. Then we had Barnabas, we have Silas, we have Timothy. And in Romans 16, 7, it mentions Adronicus and Junius, who it says were of note amongst the apostles. So clearly they were just two particularly good ones. And then also, it says, of course, Paul was an apostle as well. And then it says, in key, so that's the first reason, there were others, but also in key texts, not least that text we had right from the beginning from Lee, it says that apostles are an important role or gift for a living and vibrant church. To have that culture of honour, to have those giftings, to have the equipping, to actually move forward. We need those people who will do that groundbreaking work, who will listen from God and actually act on it and work for him. In short, no fellowship is complete without one. How is the church to grow without the inspiration of pioneering apostles who respond to the call of God and go and do the radical stuff that he calls them to do. There are lots of other passages other than just that Ephesians passage. There's 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where also, and I'll read that bit as well, also where it says about apostles being an essential part of the role of the leadership, but also an essential part of the gifting amongst the church. It says here, Now, you are the body of Christ, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, 27. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kind of tongues. And then it goes on saying, are all apostles? But, But basically, in the Bible, there are lots of lists that say that God equips the church, God equips his leadership and the church in various different ways. So if we say that being an apostle, that God no longer calls people with apostolic gifts, then we need to look at those passages and recognize that that is an ongoing ministry. It's not just stopping with Jesus or indeed just stopping with Paul. In that passage, Paul clearly lays out the importance and he he puts them kind of in in an order, doesn't he, of importance. He lays out, if you like, an order of those gifts. Just let me read you that order again. First of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, and he carries on with the gifts. And then also in the Ephesians passage, talks, doesn't it, of apostles, then prophets, then evangelists, and then teachers, then pastors. And, and kind of, it's almost like at the head of that list, at the top of that list, is the more, if you like, supernatural, kind of heavenly releasing power kind of gifts. If you like, at the beginning of these lists are the top two, if you like, gifts which are important to actually empower and equip the others. Not saying that they're more important, but if you don't have that heavenly perspective, then teaching's a bit of a waste of time. What I mean is, is if you've got a teacher who is just teaching stuff that they've read and aren't inspired by it, it can be quite boring. Have you ever been in a class when teachers have read the books and then they regurgitate the stuff? And that's because teaching in that context isn't inspired. 
And what this passage is saying, and what the other passages that back it up are saying is that you need the apostolic, you need the prophetic, you need, if you like, the releasing of those gifts, you need that kind of Holy Spirit inspiration to equip and empower the other people in the team. A team is not complete. You need the culture of honour, okay, just as you need people to protect society. You need people to actually release the gifts of the Holy Spirit to actually have spirit-filled teachers, I'll give you an example. When I was at um, Lim a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about teaching, and we have in our church a deputy head teacher who's a lovely person. She's our, our church secretary. And the week that we were talking about teaching, that her head teacher at school had died. And you can imagine it was quite sudden, and she's obviously um, still teaching right up into the last few weeks. And this teacher, it was Sunday, this teacher on Monday was going to be going into her school and dealing with that situation. You can begin to imagine that situation. There'd be tears, there'd be all sorts of upset and and difficulties. And because we were talking about God inspiring us in our everyday wake, it's it's a whole life discipleship. I'm looking at Steve because we're always banging on about that. But the idea that... If God touches us today to equip us for tomorrow, if God's Holy Spirit's power comes upon teachers to make them inspired teachers, then it really just equips and enables the whole team. We need that culture of honour. We need to recognise the kind of slightly quirky, apostolic type people who can often get under your skin. Can you begin to recognise, sorry, don't, no, don't name any names, okay? But can you recognise, if it's not you, because you're never irritating yourself, are you? But can you recognise in the church people who have that kind of new stuff kind of angle and always want to be doing new stuff and, and listening to God and God's saying, I think you should be really, really doing this. But yeah, it's, it's actually important to listen to them and to kind of support them when you actually agree that that's the right thing to do. But having them there actually inspires us in sometimes the more seemingly mundane roles that we have. So this teacher, this deputy head teacher, at the end of what we were talking about, at the end of the service, we all, because to be honest, there's not many of us at Lim, and we all gathered around to we could all lay hands on her, because anyway, that's another story. But anyway, so this small congregation gathered, we prayed for her to be equipped for the next day. And then we committed to pray for her the next day when she tried to deal with what must have been a very difficult situation. In the culture of honour, that kind of thing happens. People who are apostolic might have good ideas from God, even God ideas at times, and that's when it works really well. But yet they need other people to help them bring that out and bring that about Paul talks in one of his passages, so I'm sure I've noted it down in my notes somewhere, he talks about the apostle being like the architect. He says that the apostle has, if you like, the blueprint from God that God will give them. And it's a little bit kind of prophetic and apostles are kind of linked. But he says that the apostle has like the blueprints from God to do stuff. And then he kind of helps the rest of the people in the team to be like subcontractors 
And what he says is that when the apostle is inspired to do something, he then will also, in that gifting, rather like the car crash illustration, in that gifting, he will try and see who has the hot hands, who has the ability to bring about the blueprint that God's given them, bring about the architectural plans that God has given them. So what he's saying is that the the apostle cannot act alone. Don't you know that there are many people, and we've seen it, haven't we, say, oh, I think God thinks we should, says we should do this. And, and, and if they act on their own, they're very often not the people who systematically work through it. They need the rest of the team, the subcontractors, to be inspired and then to work within their own giftings. And, and apostles very often have the gifts to kind of raise up their inspiration within the congregation. But yet, that congregation, that group, that fellowship needs to follow it through. Apostolic leaders then, she says, desperately getting back onto her notes. Apostolic leaders then are focused on heaven and it's their mission to see heaven's supernatural reality to be established on earth. They long to see heaven's touch in their environment. Maybe it's an environment they lead or maybe it's just their their family environment. Wherever they are, they long to God to impact their environment. And I'm just challenging you this morning. Do you long for God's supernatural touch on your environment? That doesn't necessarily make you an apostle, but it makes you apostolic, wanting new stuff wanting God's stuff, wanting the presence of God to be in your situation. The apostle will make the presence of God, the agenda of heaven, top priorities in all that they do and all that they say. So when a church has that culture of honor which encourages and recognizes and grows people in their apostolic gifting, It actually totally changes the mix of the church. It changes the direction. It changes the way in which the church grows and builds and impacts community. As I said, there's the brilliant stuff about apostles because they really do begin to get inspired by God. But without the rest of the gifts, without the other of the fivefold ministries the apostle can get kind of overly focused on certain things, like totally constantly seeking the supernatural and actually not bothering about other people. You know, that that you need the pastor to care. When the apostles been and proclaimed stuff, you need the pastor to pick up the pieces afterwards. Or if somebody's so focused on what's going on in the church and so focused on the apostolic new things God is doing, maybe they're not actually even bothering to go out and speak to other people. We need the evangelist to share the gospel. Also, the apostles perhaps don't focus on getting deep into the word and teaching people and growing people and maturing people. It talks in that passage in Ephesians about maturing into um, disciples and, and it's important to actually have teachers, inspired teachers in that mix. So the first of the list, the sweet and sour of apostles. We need the team. We need to recognize, and it's brilliant. I've, I've, I've kind of 
talk to Andrew about this as, as, as church leaders and, and as elders within the church. It's really good to kind of recognize things in people. I can recognize in people who are particularly good evangelists. I'm not going to name them and, and, and claim them today or anything, but, but I can recognize people who, who have that kind of slight gifting and, and slight sort of tendency towards wanting to do new stuff for God and, and, and really praying in and seeking God's presence. But I'm not the only one here. You can recognize that in yourself, but also... You know some people better than I do. A lot of people better than I do, to be honest. So maybe you can recognise, as we go through these five, don't worry, it's not over the next five weeks, but as we go through these five particularly picked out ministries and callings, begin to recognise and to seek people who perhaps don't even recognise those giftings in themselves. Being an apostle is a scary, exciting and roller coaster with God. But without it, the church and the kingdom would be a lot poorer place. Should we just pray? We thank you, Lord, that you seek heaven to come down to earth. You seek that your church will be a vibrant and living and growing place. We thank you, Lord, that you equip each one of us with gifts that perhaps some of us are beginning to recognize, but some of us don't even know that we have. And we do pray, Lord, that as a fellowship, that you will help us to recognize in one another and to grow the giftings. We pray, Lord, that even now in the quiet, that you will prompt us to see in ourselves or others apostolic ministry because without us recognising without the architects being given the blueprint that the subcontractors don't begin to work and your kingdom isn't built let us come before God and let us as we sing offer ourselves to serve God in whatever way he calls us to serve. Mm -hmm.